Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Two Masters. All right, so in his very famous Sermon on the Mount, which I've been talking about a lot lately, Jesus made a, a powerful proclamation about what we're truly devoted to, okay? And so when it comes to our devotion, this is what he said, check it out. No one can serve two masters, for he will, he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, all right? And so in that compelling statement, Jesus shows the fallacy of trying to have two leaders in your life, two masters in your life. He says if you try to do that, you're gonna hate the one and love the other, or you're gonna be devoted to the one and you're gonna despise the other, all right? And so what two masters did he specifically point to? Well, the very next sentence, he says you cannot serve God and, what's the word, shout it out, money. You can't serve God and money. The eternal son of God, Jesus Christ, who can see directly into our hearts, who can really see where our devotions lie. He said it's impossible to serve both God and money. And so it's been said often in the past that money makes a great tool, but it's a lousy master. It's a terrible master. And that statement is so true. Ladies and gentlemen, when money is used unselfishly and responsibly, it becomes this great tool, right, that does so much good for so many people. How many needy people have been helped for the past 2,000 years because unselfish Christians have stepped up and have given of their resources. I would say multiplied millions of people have been helped. But when we become enamored with money, when we fall in love with money, by the way, it doesn't say money is the root of all evil, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. When we become enamored with money, when we try to serve it as if it's our master, it will absolutely hurt us. Now, as we consider our text today, it would appear that some in the first century thought they could defy Jesus' statement about how you can't serve two masters. As we look at our text today, some who attended the churches that James wrote to evidently tried to be, everybody look at me, quote unquote, devoted to both God and money. Apparently, they had this mindset of, well, you know what, on Sunday, I'll come and I'll give a nod toward God at church, but Monday through Friday, my life is gonna be all about materialism, it's gonna be all about material things. But there was a problem with their philosophy. Jesus says, it doesn't work. And sure enough, even though they tried, everybody please look at me, to be devoted to both God and money, as you'll see in a moment, true devotion of God, uh, to, to God, true service to God, true worship of God, no, no, no. These people in verses one through six, who I am persuaded after spending about 20 hours in the text, these people were not saved. And they failed miserably at true devotion to God. Their so-called piety in the pew, while being materialistic in their hearts, was a complete farce. And it earned them 
one of the sternest rebukes that we find in the entire Bible. Now, if you're visiting Calvary PSL, um, just know we don't skip things. We go verse by verse. And so if you think, wow, man, what a tough passage. Well, that's because we're devoted to teaching the whole counsel of God. All right, so look at verse one, please, of chapter five. Please put your seatbelts on. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches, by the way, in the Greek, that can be translated goods. Your goods have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed or literally reaped down your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's like, wow, James, why don't you tell us what you really think? I mean, what a sobering passage. This is one of the most sobering. Um, the only one I can think of that's even sterner in the rebuke than this one is when Jesus called out the Pharisees and did the series of woe, 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 hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. And so the rich people, you gotta understand, who, whom James referred to, not only had an abundance of wealth and possessions, listen to this, they also had a materialistic mindset. All right, so this is where we have to start so we don't misunderstand the passage. What is materialism? According to the Oxford English Dictionary, materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. If that doesn't describe modern day America, I don't know what describes modern day America. Listen, materialism is what has caused our nation to fall asleep spiritually, and judgment is coming. And so those who are materialistic place the temporal over the eternal. Those who are materialistic, they place their desire for wealth and possessions over their desire for the Lord and his commandments. And since some of James' readers were guilty of doing just that, he comes out and he gives them this stern rebuke. All right, so let's break it down. What specifically did these people do to earn James' rebuke? The first thing, if you're taking notes, is that they hoarded their wealth and their possessions. They hoarded their wealth and their possessions. Okay, so again, let's break it down even more. What three things did they specifically hoard? All right, so pick it up with me in verse two. He says, your riches. Again, in Greek, that can be translated goods. 
And we believe that's referring to food. Why? Because James says it's rotted. All right, so the, the first thing they were hoarding was food. The idea is that they had so much food, right, stored up that they couldn't even eat all of it in time before a lot of it was spoiling while there's all these poor people that are not even able to eat living all around them. He says, you're, you're hoarding food. But what's the second thing specifically that they're hoarding? Look again at verse two. He says, your garments are moth-eaten. And so the second thing that they hoarded was expensive garments. The idea here is that they had all these costly clothes in their closets, most of which they didn't even have time to wear. And because they're rarely or, if, or ever wearing these garments, the moths are coming in and they're, they're eating these expensive garments. What else were they hoarding? Look at verse three. He says, your gold and silver have corroded. Your gold and silver have corroded. The third thing they were hoarding was gold and silver. No doubt referring to gold and silver coins. And so the idea here is that they had this, this you know, treasure chest that's filled with, with gold and silver coins. And, and instead of using it to help people who are in need, they're hoarding it, right? And so listen to this. The alloyed gold coins were corroding and the silver coins were beginning to tarnish. And then James utters this shocking warning in the rest of verse three. He says, your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Now, I look at that and I say, wow. And then I look at it and think, what is he talking about? Here's what I believe James is talking about. The idea here is just as the corrosion ate away at their wealth in this life, so the regret of their hoarding will eat away at their mind and their conscience and their thoughts in the next life for all eternity. You guys understand eternity. Do you understand there's only two places that people go after they die, heaven or hell? You understand that Jesus said in hell, their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And a lot of scholars believe, what does it mean, the worm dieth not? It means the regret, the thoughts for all eternity of how I should have gotten saved, how I missed this opportunity, how I shouldn't, in the case of verses one through six, hoarded all of this wealth instead of helping other people. The biggest regret in hell is that they didn't get saved by turning to Jesus and receiving the free gift of salvation. And so, it's no wonder that James says in verse one, look at verse one again, come now you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And so, why? Why did they hoard all their wealth and possessions? Why did they do it in the first century? Why are people still doing it today? I think there's lots of reasons, um, but I think one of the primary reasons is because they really thought that money could give them true satisfaction in their lives. Now, King Solomon would disagree. 
Ladies and gentlemen, King Solomon, who had more wealth than you and I could ever imagine, check out what he said in Ecclesiastes 5.10. And I quote, he who loves money, this is from the guy who's got more than anybody on the earth at that time, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is, is what? Shout out the next word. Vanity, futility, it's emptiness, right? Wealth cannot give us true satisfaction. And wealth and possession certainly cannot give us true joy in our hearts. If you don't believe Solomon, then check out some of these testimonies from some of the richest people in the past. Railroad tycoon W.H. Vanderbilt. He said the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Someone says, hey, try me, man. I'll be happy. Listen, and it is funny, and I laugh with you, but, but listen, it, it doesn't bring satisfaction, and it doesn't bring joy. America's first billionaire, John D. Rockefeller, he said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. This is the testimony of the rich people of our past. Um, real estate entrepreneur J.J. Astor, by the way, this guy was the wealthiest guy on the Titanic when it went down. And he said, I am the most miserable man on earth. I don't think he said that while the boat was going down. I think he said it during his life. And then famous steel industrialist Andrew Carnegie from Pittsburgh, he said, millionaires seldom smile. Again, somebody says, try me, I'll smile. But listen, you're not getting it. Solomon says it doesn't bring satisfaction or joy, and all these guys are saying it doesn't bring satisfaction and joy. And finally, Henry Ford, after his business took off, he said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. All right, so what do we learn from all these testimonies? If you're with me, say amen. Here's what we learn. We learn that the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of possessions and riches, thinking that that's gonna give us satisfaction and joy in our hearts is like you know, pursuing a mirage in the desert. Oh, there it is, let me go a little farther. Oh, I'm not gonna stop, there it is, I'm gonna go a little farther. There it is, I'm gonna go. It's all emptiness, it's all futility. Now before we move on, there's a big clarification that I've gotta share with you guys. I wanna, sh I wanna let you know that there's a difference between selfish hoarding and wise saving. Okay, all of us should be, should be room in our budget for saving for the future. That's just wise, right? Go to the ant sluggard, see the, the ant stores up its food you know, um, during harvest for the winter months. So even if an ant can do it, we can do it. And so the question is, where is the line between selfish hoarding and wise saving? And so the answer to that is another sermon. I don't have time for it, but I am gonna refer you to a book that answers that question. Where's the line between wise saving and selfish hoarding? How many of you guys ever heard of Randy Alcorn? Can I see your hand if you've heard of him? If you haven't heard of him, man, you gotta dig in to this guy's ministry. Just like a month ago, I strongly endorsed Tony Evans. I'm strongly endorsing Randy Alcorn and his uh, ministry, Eternal Perspective. But, but um, I'd encourage you to read this book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. The whole book is awesome, but if you go to chapters 18 and 19, they deal with the question of saving and investing, right? Because all of us wanna know, where's that line 
between wise saving and selfish hoarding, he will answer it in his book. All right, so what else, getting back to the text, what else were these people doing to earn James' rebuke? The second thing these materialistic people were doing was they acquired their wealth dishonestly. They acquired their wealth dishonestly. Okay, so look at verse four. He said, behold, the wages of the laborers who reaped down your fields, which you, here it is, kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. All right, so in that agrarian culture, the laborers, the poor laborers, they would work hard all day long in the fields, reaping, reaping, reaping. When the sun's going down, they go over to the wealthy, powerful landowner to get a fair day's wage. But the problem in our text is that some of these guys who are piously sitting in a pew on Sunday, some of these wealthy landowners were either holding back part of their wage or they weren't paying the guys at all. James says in verse four, they kept back their wages by fraud. And now in this day and age, what are these poor laborers gonna do? Are they gonna get on the phone with their union rep? Unions were not invented until 1800 years later. There are no unions in the first century. What are they gonna do? You know, sue the guy? Take him to court? If he took, if the poor laborer took the wealthy landowner to court, the wealthy landowner would just, you know, in the back room, pay off the judge so the judge would exonerate him and would condemn the workers. And that's why I personally believe that in verse six, he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you. Apparently, some of these righteous laborers had taken the wealthy landowners to court and it didn't end well with them. And now they're not even resisting the power anymore. And some of them got murdered, whether that's literal or whether that's hatred in the heart from the wealthy owner toward the laborer, we don't know. But what we know is that all of this is dead wrong. What else did James' readers do to earn his rebuke. The third thing these materialistic people did, if you're taking notes, is they lived self-indulgent lives. They lived self-indulgent lives. Look again at verse five. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, all right? So just like last week, the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool, so these people in verses one through six, right, their thoughts are, man, we have so much. I mean, look at all this land. Look at all these riches. We have so much. Let's eat. Let's drink. Let's be merry, right, while they're ignoring everybody who's in need. Let's eat and drink and be merry. But what you need to know is that their merriment would only be momentary, I want you to look again at the second shocking warning from James now in verse five. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, here it is. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. James, what in the world are you talking about? What he's talking about is their coming judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, 
sometimes I wish I could be a motivational speaker. Sometimes I wish I could just, you know, um, just make y'all feel good every single weekend and tell you how, you know, you can uh, be a success in this life, but that's not what I'm called to do. My call is to go through the Bible verse by verse. Here's why, because God is real and there is a judgment that's coming. And we've gotta be ready. We gotta wake up. We gotta stop being apathetic. We gotta open our eyes. We gotta realize that this life, as we said last week, is a mist. You're here today, you're gone tomorrow, and eternity is a very long, long time. And so listen, what is James saying? He's comparing these people in verses one through six to fattened cattle that are on their way to the slaughterhouse. You say, well, that's not very nice. He's speaking the truth. What he's saying is, man, you fattened your heart with all this wealth and all these possessions. But here's the problem. That soon, like a fat cow, you're gonna be slaughtered and cooked and devoured. Wow. James did not pull punches. Why? I believe, I'm convinced, it's because he loves people and he wants to tell them the truth. Now in light of all this, again, if you're with me, say amen here. In light of all this, what's our response? In light of all this, what kind of people should we be? Well, here's the logical answer, just the opposite. We should be just the opposite of the people described in verses one through six. We need, instead of being materialistic, we need to be spiritual. All right, so this is a really, really big point right here, so I really want you to listen. What does it mean to be spiritual? Here's what it means. It starts with you being born again. It starts with someone being born from above, born spiritually. And so here's what I know on the truth of God's word, that once when someone turns from their sins, right, and they turn to Jesus Christ in true, genuine repentance and faith, the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of that person and not, it does not just wash away their sins. The Holy Spirit of God gives them a new nature, a new birth, a spiritual birth. And now this new nature, it's not self-absorbed, self-centered, me, myself, and I. This new nature is selfless, it's altruistic. And so what does a, sp a spiritual person look like? If you're taking notes, you may wanna take a picture of this either at home or here. Those who are spiritual place eternal things over temporal things and they exalt their desire for the Lord and his commands over their desire for wealth and possessions. They live for Christ and they serve others. Now listen, this is not something that a natural person can work up in their flesh by trying harder. What I'm doing now is I'm introducing the gospel of Jesus Christ into the text. That is not something a natural person can, can I'm, gonna, I'm gonna work harder, I'm gonna work this up in my flesh, I'm gonna try real hard, pastor, I hear you, and so man, I'm gonna do this. No, you're gonna fail. This is not something that a lost person can do by reading a self-help book, right, or turning over a new leaf. This is a work of grace by the Holy Spirit of God in people who are surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's how it works. We humble ourselves. We turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, and his 
Spirit comes in and begins to change us from the inside out. And as the Spirit does this work of grace, we begin to do the opposite of what the materialistic people were doing in chapter five, verses one through six. All right, so let's just think about this logically. They were hoarding their wealth. What should we do? Well, spiritual Christians, if you're taking notes, invest in eternity. We do just the opposite of what these fake, hypocritical, quote unquote, Christians, piously sitting in the pew in the churches that James wrote to, were doing. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Here it is. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I can just see Jesus passionately telling people this, knowing better than anybody how short this life is. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my question for all of you in the room, all of you who are watching this morning, my question is this. Are you investing in eternity or is it all about this life? Are you laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven? Are you giving your three T's to Christ? Someone says, well, give me an example. What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? Is giving your three T's to Christ. Your time, your talents, and your treasure. When you and I do that, what's happening? We're laying up treasures in heaven. I'll come back to that in a moment. But listen, as the Spirit of God comes in, as the Spirit of God does this work of renewal in our lives, then what happens is that we begin to do the opposite of what these people did in verses one through six. They acquired wealth dishonestly, and so logically, what should we do? Well, if you're taking notes, spiritual Christians acquire wealth honestly. This is what we do. What does that mean? What that means is we pay a fair wage to our employees. If you're a boss and you have employees under you and you decide what they make, I know it's hard, I know there's a budget, I know you gotta pray, I know you gotta make it work, but you need to give them at least a fair day's wage. What does it mean to acquire wealth honestly? It means we don't cheat on our taxes. It's so quiet in here right now. Listen, that four or 500 bucks you could save by doing that little lie on your taxes, don't you trust that you have a good father who can take care of that for you? Just trust your father. Just do what's right. Just do what's right. I'm not saying be perfect. None of us are perfect, but just choose to do right. What does it mean to acquire wealth honestly? It means we work hard at our place of employment. It means that we don't take extended breaks while on the clock. It means that we don't, refuse, uh, we don't falsify the insurance claim, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, we choose to live lives of integrity, living above board, because we know as Christians that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, Proverbs 22, one. The world's watching. 
We need to have a good testimony. Not perfect. I know we're all redeemed by the blood of the lamb. I know the bumper sticker, none, no Christians are perfect. We're all, um, it's, it's by the blood of Jesus or whatever the bumper sticker says. I agree with that, but, but listen, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, Proverbs 22, one. And so as the spirit of grace, uh, spirit of, of God does this work of grace in our hearts, we find out, we start to do the opposite of what these materialistic people were doing in verses one through six, all right? So what's the third thing they did? They lived self-indulgent lives, so logically speaking, what do we do? If you're taking notes, spiritual Christians live unselfishly. They live unselfishly. There's a really bad disease in our culture today, and I'm not talking about COVID-19. There is a, a disease in our culture today that is a million times worse than the coronavirus. The disease that I'm talking about is not transmitted by respiratory droplets. The disease that I'm talking about is congenital. We are all born with it. The disease that I'm talking about is called meiosis. And we all get it from our first daddy, Adam. What are the symptoms? The symptoms of meiosis. If you're taking notes, we'll put them up on the screen. The symptoms are a, a consuming concern about what's best for me. An elevated feeling of self-importance. A never-ending need for admiration and praise a habit of using others for selfish gain. By the way, please don't ever marry someone like that, you will be miserable. I'm so grateful, I, I know I brag on my wife, but I, I married up, I married such a selfless woman, she is such a giver, 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 giver. Praise God for that. People who have meiosis have a tendency to belittle people to feel Superior, it's just not right. You, just, you shouldn't do it. And then finally, people who have meiosis are stingy with their money. And so meiosis, this disease that's a million times worse than the coronavirus, this disease, like any other disease, it doesn't help, it weakens, it hurts. This disease does not help marriages. Meiosis will ruin a marriage. This disease does not help families. It breaks up families. This disease does not help churches. It causes church splits. This disease does not help Christian schools. It causes bitterness and infighting. This disease does not help workplaces because it's all about me stepping on you as I'm trying to get better and I wanna keep you down. This disease does not help society at all. Like any disease, it doesn't help it harms, it weakens all of those institutions. And what is the cure? If you're with me, say amen. What's the cure for meiosis? Here it is. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the difference. Not pulling yourself by the bootstraps and pastor, I'm really gonna try to be selfless. I'm gonna work so hard at being altruistic. Well, good luck. <laughs> no, no, no. You need, I need Jesus every day because his spirit in us is a selfless spirit. Give, 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 give. 
And so the missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, he experienced this transformation from the inside out. And I love his words. Check out what Hudson Taylor said. He said, the less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. I love that statement. Because there's the truth. You saw all the statements from all the rich guys from the past. I'm, you know, the, the, the most miserable man on earth. I hardly smile, right? It's killing me trying to manage all this money. But, but, but check it out. Look at the humble guy who went over to China and gave his life for the cause of Christ and the welfare of the Chinese people. The less I spent on myself and the more I gave, gave, gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. That should not surprise us because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You wanna be happy? The word blessed means happy. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We only get one shot at this. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what done, is done for Christ, as I said last week, will last. One little shot, whatever it is, 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years, whatever it is, you get one shot and then there's all eternity. I want all of us to get it right. So what about you? Have you allowed Christ to change you? Is that change evident in your life? Are you giving yourself for the cause of Christ and the welfare of others? Listen to this. Are you using what Christ has blessed you with for his cause and for the welfare of others? Are you giving of your time, your talent, your treasure? Let me just give you some examples, okay? Your time. Are you spending that hour or so? Everybody's got a different time, it's fine. And if you're spending two minutes with the Lord reading daily bread in the bathroom, I really encourage you, you probably need to up it up a little bit. The Lord deserves more than that, okay? And so as you spend that hour or so, or half hour or so, whatever it is, with the Lord, in his word, meditating on his word, praying uh, according to his will, worshiping him, putting in the earbuds and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Listen, you can sing as loud as you want in your house. Who cares how off you are? The Lord loves your voice. Spend that time with him. Are you spending time in your Calvary group? Are you even part of a Calvary group? Pouring into others, encouraging one another, building each other up. Are you spending time at church? Here's a challenge. Attending one service, but then staying and serving the next service. We're talking about laying up treasures in heaven. We're talking about giving our time, talent, and treasures uh, to the Lord. That's one example in a thousand. How about your talents? God has gifted all of you guys with certain skills, certain abilities. Are you using those gifts for him? Man, if you can sing well, are you singing for the Lord? Thank God for Armando. He's up here harmonizing, pouring out his, his gift. He's serving the Lord. How about you? How about those of you who can jam and you're really excellent on the guitar or the drums or, or the keys or whatever instrument, are you doing that for the Lord? How about those of you who connect really well with kids or with teens? You have that gift. By the way, I don't have that gift. I connect with adults. I just have a hard time connecting with kids. And that's why we have this great team on our staff, but we need more volunteers. 
And if you love kids and you love teens, are you pouring yourselves into them? Thank God for Andrew, who right now is across the street with middle school kids, pouring his heart into them. Why don't you go help him? How about those of you who have a good working knowledge of the word of God? Are you leading a Calvary group? Are you stepping out? My Calvary group meets twice a month, and we start at seven, and we try to end at nine, even though sometimes it goes over. That's not much of a commitment, but it's awesome. Are you leading a Calvary group if you have a good working knowledge of the word of God? If you have the gift of hospitality, are you opening your home for a Calvary group? You can social distance, you can wear a mask or whatever. Listen, don't let COVID-19 stop you from serving the Lord. I'm not talking about the elderly or the immunocompromised right now. I'm, t- I'm telling you, be careful. But, li- but listen, if you're not in that category, put on a mask, socially distance, do whatever it takes, but keep serving Jesus Christ. His kingdom does not hit, go on hold because of some virus. You gotta keep moving forward. You gotta keep serving the Lord. Are you giving your treasure to the Lord? Are you honoring him through the principle of the tithe and then trusting that you have a good, good father who's gonna take care of you as you regularly give that tithe? He's gonna take care of you. He's gonna open the windows of heaven. He's gonna pour out a blessing that you're not able to to keep it, but not if you're stingy. And then are you even open to the Holy Spirit's leading of other tithe to, to give to other things as he leads? That's an exciting way to live. My wife and I, I tell you, there was a time in our Christian life, we were at seven or 8%, and I was like, I can't give anymore, I'll go broke. And then finally, I thank God for a person in my life. You know how God uses people in your lives? This is years ago, and this guy challenged me. He said, brother, you need to be, just trust God with all 10%, and I did it. And I'm telling you, my life cha- our lives changed when I did that. Our lives changed. Material blessings, spiritual blessings from the Lord because he's a promise keeper and not a promise breaker. And so are you spiritual? Here's the last point, it's just a review. If you're taking notes, we'll put that last one up. Are you investing in eternity? Are you acquiring your wealth honestly? And are you living unselfishly for the Lord? Paul wrote the church of Corinth, he said, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the Things done while in the body, whether good or whether bad. All right, so just think about this. I'm gonna close with this statement. These statements, okay? The judgment seat of Christ. Now here's why I wanna emphasize it. Because some of you think, I'm gonna say a little prayer, and I'm gonna die, I'm gonna float up into heaven, and everything's gonna be happy forever. And you haven't read the Bible. Here's what I know. At the judgment seat of Christ, what's at stake? If you're with me, say amen. Don't tune out, stay with me here. At the judgment seat of Christ, what is at stake is not our salvation. We are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've already said it. When you turn to Jesus in true repentance and faith, he forgives you. He gives you the gift of salvation. What is at stake at the judgment seat of Christ is not our salvation. What is at stake at the judgment seat of Christ is either the gain or the loss of rewards. And I hope, my pray that at the judgment seat of Christ, you're gonna have all these crowns to hoard for yourself for all eternity? No, 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 you know what what the Bible says, to cast those crowns at Jesus' feet. 
and to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for enabling me by your grace to serve you. I love you guys. Pastor Will, come on out. <laughs>